Liz, I just realized we haven't used our Christmas presents from Mary. Oh, those glasses that hold like a whole bottle of wine in each glass? Yes. Well, I will say dry January is over. It's now wet February, so the time has come. Let's break them out. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career in friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll talk about picking your battles. Then we'll call our agent and ask him a question that comes from a listener whose dream is to be an agent herself. And this week's Hollywood hack was inspired by a gift I received this holiday season. And finally, we have a special 80s celebrity sighting. But first, a couple of updates. Sarah, we want to remind our listeners that we are having another Happier in Hollywood meetup. Um, It's Sunday, March 3rd at 5 p.m. at a bar called Idle Hour. And it's the same location where we had it last year, if anyone went last year. We liked it so much, we thought, why not just do it there again? Yes. So it's Idle Hour. It's in North Hollywood um, from 5 to 7 o'clock on March 3rd. We will be there. We will be... You know, answering any of your questions, chatting, taking photos. Um, We're also going to have everybody put their word of a year in a jar um, on a piece of paper and do some sort of ritual to give us all (laughs) luck. I don't know what it's going to be yet. Maybe just um, a A commitment ceremony of some (laughs) kind. Yes, yes, yes. But that'll be fun. So please join us uh, March 3rd at Idle Hour. And then we wanted to thank Lisa Johnson from the Lucia Apothecary. Um, who sent us these amazing sugar scrubs. I'm having to fight Violet for them because she thinks they smell so good. Yes, she makes sugar scrubs in her shop um, in Cambria. And what I love about them, because you know, Sarah, I'm very bullish on California. Yes. I love Cal- I've embraced <laughs> California as my home state, and I love California. Um, And all of her scrubs um, have the name of a different town in California. So I've been using Montecito. There's Ojai. There's Inez. There's Santa Barbara. So there's just tons of of different scrubs, and they're just delightful and effective, um, and they smell good. So thank you, Lisa, for that little surprise treat for us. We have been enjoying it. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, I don't know if this is um, not fitting or fitting because it is Valentine's Day today. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. But this week, it's Pick Your Battles. Yes. And this came up because we were talking to someone who asked for advice um, in case their pilot got picked up. And one of the things there, he's waiting to hear and wants to be prepared because if it happens, it's like a crazy rush of activity. And our number one piece of advice was pick your battles. When making a pilot, pick your battles. And then it's really true for sort of across the board. It's not just true for making pilots. No, no. It's it's for making a show. It's for running a writing staff. It's and it's for any job that exists 
outside of Hollywood and inside of Hollywood. Also parenting, also romantic <laughs> relationships, also friendship. Yes, it's probably the number one piece of advice for marriage as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, it's just across the board. But it can be hard to know. Like everyone says, pick your battles, but it can be hard to know which battles to pick. Yes. Because there are always many, many battles. I mean, when you're making a pilot, I mean, there's multiple battles every single day. Oh, multiple battles every hour. And I think what we've decided is our general stance has become go in with the attitude of saying yes to people. Yeah. Um, I think early in our career, and we've mentioned this, we would be, our backs would be up and we'd think we should fight everything that anyone wanted to do because we were so worried about making a bad decision. We were so defensive about our material. We felt like we had to protect everything. Yes, yes. Now we realize it's much more of a free-flowing, fluid process. Collaborative. It's a collaborative process. That's what TV is. Yes, it is one big collaboration. And so there's a million battles that we don't fight. The majority. The majority of them. And we sort of have whittled it down to two very important questions. What's inevitable and does this move the needle? Yes. So to break those down, some things are just inevitable. Like if um, an incredibly powerful person, say the head of a network, really wants something to happen in your pilot, whether it's a casting choice, a wardrobe choice, a dialogue pitch, whatever it may be, if there's an incredibly powerful person who wants that and who has decision-making power, um, it's likely you're just going to have to do what they want. So, so you can either you can double down and fight it and have your ass handed to you, which has happened to us not lately but in the past. Yes, <laughs> badly. Or you can make the best of it. Like if something is inevitable. Just don't fight it. Now, it can be tricky knowing what's inevitable and what's not. Yeah, and we'll get to that. That's our sort of um, ask your peers portion of our discussion. (laughs) Um, And then the other question that we ask ourselves when we're deciding whether we're going to pick a battle or not is, does this move the needle? Yes. And that is what we've come, I think, to find to be the most important thing to ask ourselves. Um, Because here's the thing. Is this going to keep a show from getting picked up, in our case, is what we're usually interested in, or is it going to make a show get picked up? Um, Look, if it's a red sweater or a blue sweater, ultimately a show is not going to be picked up because somebody's wearing a red sweater or a blue sweater. Uh, a show's not going to be picked up because a scene takes place at day or at night. One thing in our world that is a big issue is what time of day things happen. Because for a shooting schedule, you could want something to be at night, but it makes a lot more sense to have it during the day. And we've realized it doesn't matter what time scenes happen as long as they happen. Most of the time. Sometimes uh, it does. Most of the time. But then you know that that's a battle to pick. Yes. So there's so many things that don't ultimately move the needle. Yes, they contribute to your overall quality of what you're doing, but they're not going to be a deciding factor. Now, for instance, on the Fix pilot, and I think we've mentioned this before, there was a location in question. Um, We really wanted to shoot at an expensive location in Malibu, and we really felt that it would move the needle. Yeah. We thought because of the nature of the show, because it was a Los Angeles show and we were really selling L.A. and a big 
fun part of L.A., obviously, is the beach and the ocean. And we had a character where we felt where he lived was a very important part of the story. We really felt like we need to fight for a really great location because it's really going to move the needle on whether or not we go to series. Yes, and we got a lot of pressure to fold on that. Um, And we did not. And ultimately, you know, we believe that that was part of the series pickup. Yes, we think that we were right to fight for that. And we had to make a lot of other concessions. Oh, God. And and our attitude was pretty much, we'll make whatever concessions we need to in order to protect this one location because we truly thought it was that important. It's not just like, oh, we felt like it'd be fun to have a day at the beach. No, we really felt like it moved the needle. Yeah. In fact, I hate the beach. Yes. In fact, <laughs> neither of us wanted to drive all the way to Malibu, yeah. P.S. Exactly. Um, but um, but we felt it was that important. And so right. we really fought for it. Um, and ultimately, because of many people, you know, joining in on the vision and, yeah. and, and coming through for us, um, we were able to use that location. So thank you, everybody, who made that happen. For sure. <laughs> and then I will say there was another location during the series shoot that I think you and Marsha in particular, like, really, really strongly believed in. I would have let it go earlier. But you guys were like, no, we need this. It makes all the difference. And I have to say, you were 100% right. And everyone on the production side, our line producer, Mark Grossan, Michael Michael Cattleman, our director, EP. Our our production designer, Cabot. Everybody really wanted this location. And it does move the needle. And it does move the needle. It brings up the quality of the whole show. And we Um, made other sacrifices so that we could be there, but it really made a difference. Yes. So those are battles. In this particular show, locations matter. In another show, it may be something else. You know, some some other locations may, may not be important. Yeah, in another show, it could be wardrobe. It could be um, a particular actor who you really believe in, but the network isn't familiar with, yeah. and you have to really fight for them. That can be an area um, of a lot of battles that people have historically is over casting. Yeah. And casting, obviously, what is more important in a show than the cast? I mean, nothing. Absolutely nothing. The cast, thank God we have a great one, is like— hands down the most important thing. Yeah. So anyway, picking that battle, it's like cuz it gets uncomfortable. It gets heated. It gets it keeps you up at night. It gets your stomach churning. I mean, one thing we've realized is if an issue though is something that like to me makes my stomach churn and keeps me up at night, then it's probably a battle worth having. Right. If it's something that 5 minutes later I forget about, it's not important. Right. You have to know, and this is something that comes with experience, I think, but sometimes you just dig in to dig in, mm-hmm. and you have to know when you're doing that and when you're really f- picking the right battle. And this goes to what we you were mentioning earlier, which is at, talk to people. Yeah. Like, talk to people who've done it before. And again, we're saying this for making pilots, but I'm sure this could this could apply to any career. I'm sure you could be an emergency room doctor and there are battles that you're fighting and you should talk to another emergency room doctor who's been there 10 years longer than you have and get their opinion. That when you talk to people who've done it a lot, they tend to have a notion of, well, what's inevitable and what's not. 
And they also tend to have an idea of what will move the needle and what won't. Because the more you do things, the more you just understand both of those questions. Yes. And do not talk to somebody who is in a different line of work. Yes. Because they have no clue. Right. Like, we have a writer friend, and he's always saying that, you know, he tells his wife these things, and she's just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. This makes no sense. You have to have a different approach. Well, and she has an incredibly high-powered yes. corporate job. Yes. So it's just a different world, a yeah, different, it's a different culture. culture. Um, so talk to the person who's, like, in your world um, who will understand, because sometimes there's political issues that we deal with that are very specific to our world. But then, like, in a corporate world, there's other political issues that we wouldn't understand at all. I wouldn't even begin to understand. No. So I think picking your battles is one of the hardest things to do, both in terms of choosing what to pick and following through, because you're much stronger than I am in that way. I mean, I'm always, like, ready to cave, and I feel like you have a lot more backbone than I do, so I'm glad for that. I'm glad you have your backbone. Thank you. But just know it can get uncomfortable, but if you really, you know, if you're going to fight it, fight it, but then know when you've lost. Yeah. And, you know, wave the white flag. (laughs) (laughs) And I would love to hear from people, what are battles you've fought, and have you won or have you lost? Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't win. You know, we've fought battles and lost. And we've fought battles and won. You know, it happens. So uh, let us know your stories. Email us at happierinhollywood.com or send a voice memo. We love hearing your voices. Coming up, we're going to call our agent, Matt Solo, and get his input on a really good question. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now it's time for our segment, Call Your Agent, in which we check in with our agent, Matt Solo. Um, Matt, we should mention, is a partner at one of the world's biggest agencies, William Morris Endeavor, and he's been our agent for over 15 years. And Sarah, we got a letter, an anonymous question. And when we read it, we said, this is a great question, and there's only one person we can think of to answer it, and it was Matt. So let's, let me read the question, and then we'll call Matt and hear what he has to say. This woman says, I am a new mom working in entertainment. I currently have, for lack of a better word, because nothing in life is certain, a safe job at a very sought-after media company that I have always wanted to work for ever since college. Flashback. Before I worked at X Company, I floated at a top four agency, which I loved, and the agents loved me because they kept asking me to work on their desks. 
Unfortunately, a family member of mine was passing away in my hometown, which led me to move back after only working at X Talent Agency for a few months. I figured while I was home, I would get my MBA and intern at other media companies for additional experiences. After all, if these contacts at X Agency were really true, I would end up back there at some point. Good news is, when I moved back home, I was there for my family members passing and met my husband, and now we have a beautiful child. Challenging news, the contacts at X Agency didn't stick, and while I am proud of myself for getting a job at the media company, I feel that representation is my calling. The question, understanding that I can't waltz into any talent agency applying to be an agent, do I go back to working on a desk if they would even take me? This would mean significant pay cut with a new child, challenging hours with still an unsecured job. While the goal is to be an agent slash manager, that doesn't always happen. I also want to have more kids and feel that if there's any time to make this leap, it would be now. Help! So, Sarah, we should call Matt and hear what he has to say. Yes. Can we get him on the phone? Mary, can you get Matt? Yep. One second. That's Hill's office. Hey, it's Liz and Sarah for Matt. Just a moment. Let me see if I can get him. Hey, it's Matt. Hey, it's Hi Liz there. and Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> So, Matt, we sent you our listener's question. You read the question. You've had a little time to think about it. What is your take on this? Here's the thing. Really, if you know you want something, you kind of have to do what you have to do to get there. Mm. So I I was rereading this question just now, and I was thinking about my early life in the business. And actually what happened was that um, this is not my first career. I spent my entire 20s. I went to, I mean, I hate to say because I, I wasted them. I went to law school, <laughs> then I practiced law for a couple mm-hmm. of years, and then I was coming up to, you know, what was going to be my 30th birthday, and, I, you know, I have to change my life. Mm. I have to change my life. I don't like what I'm doing. I can't see a future doing this, and what do I really like? And I really like writing. I really like storytelling, and I had an affinity for it. And I said, I can imagine a life doing that. I can't imagine a life doing this. So I said, I have to do whatever it takes to make that change. And unlike your listener, I had the advantage of not being you know, married with a kid at the time. Right. Which is obviously a significant thing. But I was making real money for that age at that time. And I you know, was all sitting in the bank because I was a lawyer and I couldn't, had no time to spend it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like I was sitting on a large amount of money, yeah. but it was a large amount to me at the time. And I wish instead of going into this business, I had just bought Apple stock. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I could be retired now yeah. instead of working. But nevertheless, the point was that I was, lo- I was 29. I was looking at my 30th birthday coming down the pike, which is kind of, you know, older for getting in. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had to take my lumps. So now there are people who, particularly with a law background, can go and get maybe a law job at an agency or something like this, and then over time potentially transition right. into being an agent and not take the hit, the financial hit of starting at the bottom. So did you start as an assistant? No. I literally drove mail around the city. Oh, wow. So you even started below assistant. I I went from what was, you know, a six-figure income to making $250 a week. Wow. Driving my own car and beating it to crap. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, driving from Northridge to South LA to every, you know, all over the place. In those days, that's what mailroom people did with no guarantee that I would get out of the mailroom. Then I got into it onto a desk, was on a desk for a year and a bit with no guarantee of getting promoted. And in the meantime, you know, met my wife and, you know, got, got married, not having been promoted. So still making $300 a week wow. and uh, living on savings. And then, you know, got promoted, still got, I think, moved up at those days to 500 a week. Uh-huh. Right. You hit the big yeah. time. Princely. Yeah. Uh, and I was an agent. Now, I mean, thank God, right? But I was still, for, for the first several years of work, I was living on savings. Yeah, and she may not have any savings. I get it. But, I get it. But she is married, so potentially her husband is earning income as well. I mean, this is the thing, you know, it, what, is, what is hard is that for anybody to sort of show up and go, hey, I have this experience, without, unless they're your friends, yeah. to show up and say, make me an executive or make me an agent and I'll be able to run with this. And it's true. This is not brain surgery. You could do it. <laughs> you know, but, but I hate to say, I don't want to admit this, but that's the case. But um, actually, it is brain surgery. Um, but the thing is, you know, she could be a very competent, you know, effective person. But the chances of somebody going, oh, you know what? You succeeded somewhere else. Why don't you come over here and we'll make you an agent is extremely unlikely or a manager directly. And so the question is, why, do I have to go back and be an assistant? And the answer is probably yes. Right. I hate to say it. If you, like, if you have a friend that loves you, that works at a management company and says, listen, I'm expanding, I'll, I'll just give you, like, started, that would be amazing. But most people don't have that kind of a connection or that kind of a friend. Right. So, you know, as I look at her situation, as I read it, one, she has to get, you know, there are lots of people who are agents and assistants who get pregnant and have babies. It's not a snap at all. Really, mm-hmm. it's hard for any job to, to have to leave your, your baby to go to work is an upsetting thing. But, you know, at the same time, you've got to figure out how do you get ahead in life? Yeah. You know, like we all have to make these kinds of sacrifices. So the answer is, unfortunately, I, you know, believe that your listener may have to leave her great job, roll the dice, bet on herself, probably go to work at a management company because they're smaller. They're smaller, which means that, you know, that more people will get to know that person more intimately and recognize their contribution. And they may be able to move up a little faster Mm. than they would at a big agency where there are, you know, rivers of people ahead of them. Right. And my thought on it is it's not like everyone in the world wants to be an agent or a manager. A lot of times people get jobs in those companies to make contacts and to get other jobs. That's right. So if she's someone whose dream, whose fantasy is to be an agent or a manager, that's compelling. I mean, she should pursue that because if she has that drive, it's very likely that she'll be good at it. Correct. That's the thing. You know, you, this is a little bit off topic, but most people don't go and try and do this. And the reason is because compared to being on Wall Street or anywhere else, you get paid bupkis, especially Mm -hmm. when you're starting. No one promises you anything. Right. Who wants to take that kind of a risk? Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, why am I going to make peanuts? You know, you have to really want to do it. Yeah, and our listener, the other good thing, I think, about her is that she knows of what she speaks. Like, she was a floater at an agency. Right. And instead of that making her want to, like, run the other direction, she's like, wow, that is where I want to be. This is what I want to be doing. Right. Like, if you know that, you, you have to give it the shot. 
Yeah. And, I mean, you know, because all, there are so many people, and I was one of them, who were stuck in a job that, that, you know, that's paying. It's not exactly what you want to do, but you have a nice lifestyle. It's hard to walk away from that, especially yeah. to do something as speculative as this. But the truth is, you know, if you have the drive and the intelligence and the patience, but mostly the drive, yeah. You can make this happen like anything else in life. You know, it's scary, but you can make it happen. And my recommendation would be to go to work either at a smaller agency or a management, I think even better yet, a management company where not only are you doing the assistant job, but you're basically volunteering for everything else. So you read everything that comes in yeah. the door. You recommend, you know, potential clients. You go out and find some people, bring them in, and people suddenly realize, oh, that person actually got some clients or brought some things in. And what I was going to say a few minutes ago is, Nobody promises you anything. Nobody promises to make you an agent or an executive or anything else in life. You have to make yourself that, whether someone else appreciates it or not. Mm. Right? I mean, like, so if you've got the, the, the break to be somebody's assistant somewhere, I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world, but it's, it's the price of admission. While you're there, make as many contacts as you can, yeah. read as much as you can, watch as much as you can, so that when someone says to you, you know, what did you think of the last season, television season? You can actually say, this worked, this didn't work, this writer really blew, you know, blew up, this writer fizzled out. Blah, blah. You have to know everything. But just so someone listening to you goes, oh, my God, this person knows what they're talking about. Like, you know, and, and so you make yourself the person you want to be, and you hope that wherever you are recognizes that. And they probably will. I think, Matt, the first time we talked to you, you said, like, your job is what you do from 10 to 6 or whatever, and your career is what you do from 7 to midnight. Right. And right. that's resonated with us because yeah. it's we've told that to so many people because it's really true. Yeah, that's right. So, look, I mean, on the one hand, like, I think that she should be hopeful and, and you know, go for it because she can, if she was able to get the job at the media company that she likes, she could probably get other jobs like that. She got an MBA, like, you know, while she was at home for, All correct. Yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of people who started late. There's a lot of people who went and got MBAs. There are lots of people, particularly people who, you know, practice law for a while that are sitting in mail rooms. Right, but this is a person with real drive, is my point. She's, like, focused. Yeah. The hardest part is giving up the money. Yeah. yeah. And, no, and in her case, you know, I don't think that these jobs can't be any more time-consuming than the jobs she has. When I say the jobs from 7 to midnight, that's like reading, thinking, yeah. watching. Yeah. You know, it's not like you have to be out, you know, out and about. Right, uh, you right. Know, you can be home. But it really just goes to, like, you know, bringing yourself up to speed. And then if she, say her goal in life is to be at one of the top four agencies, she could start at a smaller place and then get hired ultimately once she's an agent or a manager by a bigger company. Yeah. And that happens I mean, What happens is you start developing a reputation where you are, and then, you know, the other agency hear about, oh, I hear so-and-so somewhere else is really great. And, you know, at the larger places, there are lots and lots of divisions. So I happen to be in the writers and directors on the TV side. There's the movie side. There's actors. There's producers. There's reality. Yeah, there's, there's podcasting. There's digital. There's, there's financing. There's, they, these agencies are into so many things. And an MBA could be really helpful. for There's, there's branded lifestyle. This is like you know, representing, for example, you know, chefs or celebrities and the product lines that, that are spun off of you know, Rachel Ray, she's got books, she's got TV shows, she's got appearances, she's got product lines. You know, that's, somebody's doing that. Right. You know, which, and, and a business background would be great for that. 
Do you know what I mean? It's different. I don't know what she, what division she wants to go in, but the truth is, and the smaller agencies don't necessarily have all of that. They probably got more of the basic traditional agency things, lit, talent, yeah, that kind of thing. So I don't know what she was into, but if a small, if she's doing those things, she can be one of these smaller companies and get recognized, you know, for great taste and and material and getting and clients who are loyal. And then you know, they she could very well get recruited away uh, because other executives in the business will get to know her and and say, oh, she's great. And then other people will hear about that. Um, that's how that happens. But I don't think being as a big four agency is the be all and end all for everybody. Right. That especially, I mean, if you have kids, it can, it can, yeah. I would definitely ask her to see if she can find her way into a good management company. It doesn't have to be a big management company. It's, it's like it should be a management company that does what she wants to do, that, that, that has a reasonable reputation, because if it's a smaller one, it's more likely to be able, on the one hand, they'd be less able to pay her, but on the other hand, more likely to have need. And, and say, listen, if you can actually pick up the ball and pick up clients and stuff like this, we need that, and more likely to make you a manager sooner. And as a manager, by the way, you can deal with all the agencies, which means that all the agencies will get to know you. Right. Which means that, like, it, you know, seven agencies will, oh, I know this manager at management company X, I really like them, and then somebody will be sitting around a room one day and say, what if we, what if we bring that person in? Yeah, right. And you know, if you're at an agency, you're not going to meet anybody at any other agency. If you're in a management company, you can meet everybody everywhere. And Matt, I want to just reiterate what you said before, which is basically be the job you want. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because we tell beginning writers that all the time, people who are assistants and who sort of feel like I can't identify myself as a writer. And we feel like as soon as you say you're a writer, mm-hmm. you're a writer. And then you can really, like, tackle all of the kind of logistical things that you have to do. And we tell right. people pitch ideas, don't don't just sit there. Pitch yeah. ideas because if we start taking them, that's going to put you on deck to get hired. Yeah, I think right. that advice applies to to many yes. different careers. Yes. Yeah. Um so I just wanted to to reiterate right. that because it's so important. Um well, this is great advice, Matt. I think we're all saying like just go for it. Do what it takes. It's not going to be easy. But if you have the drive, which she clearly does, the ability, which she also seems to have, it's worth going for it. You have to, you know. What's the alternative? You better go for it. If it doesn't work out, you're still young enough. She's a young mom. She's still young enough to do something else. Yes. So take, you know, this is what you want to do. Go for it for a while. Good. Yay. Thanks, Matt. Okay, bye, everybody. Matt, thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Next up, we've got an eco-friendly Hollywood hack that's less Hollywood and more homey. But first, an ad break. Okay, Liz, now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, which are organic eco-wool dryer balls. And now, you told me about this, and I was like, I have no idea what... (laughs) a dryer ball is. So explain. Okay. Well, first of all, I got them from my friend Catherine for Christmas, who knows that I'm trying to be more earth-friendly. Mm, okay. Um, she also got me the Rocket Book. Yes. Big hit, that. Yes. Um, so these are, first of all, adorable. I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, mine are little penguins, and they're organic wool, and you put them in the dryer, and it dries things much faster. So you 
don't have to use as much energy in the dryer. Ah. Like, as we've discussed, I have guinea pigs at home, and I use fleece bedding for them. Mm. And it can take two full cycles of the dryer to dry this fleece bedding. And now it takes one cycle, like, with the balls in there, like, not even a whole cycle, and the the fleece actually gets dry. It really does save so much time in the dryer. And why? I don't know. I guess it keeps things separated. separated in the dryer. Things don't kind of clump up, but there's six of them. You put them all in. Okay. Um, and they just keep things drier or they get well, things dry faster. I mean, I need to order these today because even if you don't care about using less energy, which we all should care about, it's nice to have things dry faster. Exactly. And they also— There's no downside. They, they totally bring me joy. They spark joy when I see them, I have to tell you. So— so say what they are again for everybody so we can all Google them. Okay, and we'll put a link on our website yes. also, Happier in Hollywood. You can get them on Amazon. They're f- Mine are called Friend Sheep, Friend Sheep Eco Dryer Balls. They're organic eco wool. Mine are penguins, but they also come in other super cute animal styles. I don't know what you call that. There's a koala. There's an actual sheep. They're they're just so cute. There are lemons. So check them out. Save some energy. Save the planet. Nice one. And Sarah, now it's time for this week's celebrity sighting. You saw someone very exciting. I did. I saw Alan Ruck, who played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, this is a big sighting of huge for people who grew up in the 80s. A huge. I mean, if anyone doesn't remember, Cameron is the one who had the, the fancy modern house, and they took his dad's car out to go on their adventure. And then at the end of the movie, they, like, did a thing where they reversed the mileage on the car. And they also crashed, right? I mean, it's just such an iconic movie. And that character. Oh, my gosh. Like, I wanted to grow up and marry Cameron. Well, what's amazing, Sarah, is that the show I am obsessed with, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast yet or not, it's called Succession. It's on HBO. Everyone should watch it. It's about an incredibly ultra-wealthy publishing family in New York, and the father is in ill health, and the kids are vying for power, and Alan Ruck plays one of the kids. Yes. And he's fantastic in the show. He's amazing. He is so good. So everybody— Go back and watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off if for some insane reason you haven't seen it and watch Succession. Now, the crazy thing is also I just I saw him just walking down the street, uh-huh. you know, in the valley and like, you know, dad clothes, clearly yes. like walking like from home to Starbucks or right, something, you know. Right, yeah. Um, and I used to see him and his wife. He's married to Marae Enos, who ah. is the star of, was the star of The Catch, was the star of The Killing, of which course. was an amazing show. And I used to see them when I lived in Echo Park. Uh, at, like, the local diner. Ah. And now, like, we've all moved to the valley. So you guys are on the same real estate path. Yes, exactly. That is a good sighting, Sarah. (laughs) Nicely done. It pleased my teenage self, for sure. No doubt. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our agent, Matt Solo, for letting us pick his brain today. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. 
Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. They're friendship eco dryer balls. Mine are penguins, but there's a koala. Um, there's an actual sheep. They're they're just so cute. So check them out. Save okay. some energy. Save the planet. Nice one. Well, you can just use your guinea pig. Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm all for that. No, just kidding. <laughs> From the Onward Project.